This morning, we are starting a new series in the book of Joshua, and we're calling it Courage Over Fear, because that's going to be a theme that we will see many times in the weeks to come. This morning, we're going to look at the opening verses of Joshua chapter 1. This passage has been an inspiration to believers for thousands of years. I can't help but think that probably many of you during difficult times in your life, you've gone back to these verses and every time your fears fade and your strength is renewed. We're going to look in a moment in Joshua chapter 1, starting there in verse 1. A few years ago, there was a, an interesting story in CBS Nightly News about a five-year-old boy who jumped off the diving board of his swimming pool for the very first time. You're probably wondering, why is that newsworthy? Why would that make national news? Well, it turns out this little boy could swim like a fish, but he was terrified of that diving board. And one day, his next-door neighbor overheard his parents trying to encourage him, trying to persuade him to dive off of that board, but to no avail. So he got a pair of swimming trunks and showed up at the door. It turns out that their neighbor was a 95-year-old World War II veteran who had served an Army Air Corps and had jumped out of more than a few airplanes in his day. That old man climbed up that ladder and he walked out to the edge of the diving board and then he did something that he had not done in more than 50 years. He dove in that pool head first. Wasn't pretty, but he did it. And when he did, just seconds later, that five-year-old boy who had been so afraid of that diving board for so long, he ran out there and he dove in as well. And the moral of the story is sometimes we just need to see a picture of courage so that we can imitate it. Well, Billy Graham once said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. And I believe that is true. And yet it seems to me like courage is in short supply these days. It seems like we're just surrounded by fear. Now, the pandemic made this worse, but to be honest, it was like this before. I've never seen a time where so many people were afraid of so many things, but God wants his people to be courageous. In our scripture that we're going to read this morning, it's time for Israel to enter the promised land. And in these verses, God says to Joshua, not once or, or twice, but three times, be strong and courageous. Now, if God says it one time, it is important. If God says it two times, it's as if he's saying, don't miss this. But when God says something three 
times in just a handful of verses. It's as if he is crying out to us and he's saying, hey, are you paying attention? Now, God may have been speaking to Joshua, but these words certainly apply to us. Because I don't care who you are, at some point in your life, God is going to call you to do something that will require great courage. And so our focus this morning in these first few verses of Joshua is on the courage to succeed. God said to Joshua, do these things and be courageous and you'll be successful in the land. Please understand when I talk about the courage to succeed, I am not talking about worldly success. I'm talking about spiritual success. I'm talking about you successfully becoming who God wants you to be and you successfully doing what God wants you to do. I'm talking about you successfully experiencing that abundant life victory over temptation. And there are three ways we're going to notice this morning that we can experience this kind of courage that we're going to see in our passage. First of all, by embracing God's presence. By embracing God's presence. Look at what he says in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now let me pause here for a moment. I cannot overemphasize to you just how difficult these words were for Joshua to hear. You see, Moses was not just their leader. He was the only leader he had ever known. He was more than a leader. He was a legend. He was the one who led them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and all these years through the wilderness. But now he is gone. And when God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead, it's not because they were not aware of the fact that Moses was dead. They just spent the last 30 days mourning his death. That's all anybody had been thinking about. That's all anybody had been talking about. When God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead, that was like saying, I am aware of your predicament. I know what you are going through. I know what lies ahead. I know how you feel, and I am right there with you through it all. Now, in verses 2 through 5, which we'll look at in a moment, God talks about the assignment that God is giving to Joshua. But notice what he says at the very end of verse 5. He says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. This is exactly what Joshua needed to hear. Because Joshua was probably asking himself what everybody else in Israel was asking themselves. How do we do this without Moses? You know, it's easy, if you're not careful, to, go, to get so attached to a human leader that you depend more on them than you do upon God. In fact, I've seen churches that were so built on the personality of a leader, and when that one leader is gone, it just all falls apart. 
Well, God is saying, Joshua, you don't need Moses. You just need me. Joshua needed to be reminded, and the people needed to be reminded. It was not Moses, but it was through Moses that God brought them out of Egypt and to the promised land. They needed to be reminded that at one point, Moses was just a stuttering shepherd who 40 years earlier had tried and failed to deliver Israel on his own. So God says to Joshua, hey, Moses is dead, but I'm not dead. Moses is not with you, but I am with you. You may think, well, pastor, that may have been true for Joshua, but how do I know that's true for me? Well, the author of Hebrews, towards the end of that great book, he actually quotes Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, and I want you to notice what he does with this verse. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, here it is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A couple of things I want you to notice about this. First of all, notice that the author of Hebrews understands that God was not just making this statement to Joshua. He was making this statement to all of us. He was speaking to us and saying, I will not leave you nor forsake you. But notice the context of this statement in Hebrews 13. He says, don't covet. Be content with what you have. And then he quotes Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. In other words, if God is with you, and if God will never leave you, you don't have to covet what others have. You can be content with what you do have, because if God is with you and will never leave you or forsake you, that means you always have enough. I'm going to say something that may shock some of you this morning. If you know Christ, you already have everything you need to be victorious in the Christian life. You already have, believe it or not, all the patience you need. You already have all the wisdom you need. You already have all of the power you need. The presence of God in the believer's life means you have everything you need to do whatever God is calling you to do in your present situation. And if that is true, and if we really believe that is true, what will be the result? We'll look at the end of this passage and what God says to Joshua in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If God is with you, and if you believe that God is with you, then the knowledge of God's presence will drive out fear. And notice God said, 
I'm with you wherever you go. There's never a place and there's never a time when we cannot know that God is with us in a real and powerful way. Even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, he's present and he is working. We get the courage to succeed by embracing the truth, the reality of God's presence with us, but also by believing God's promise By believing God's promise. Go back to verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Well, for 40 years they've been wandering in the wilderness, but now God says it's time to enter in. And in the Hebrew, there's emphasis on this word you in verse 2, and it's in the singular. In other words, you, Joshua, you and all the people. God is emphasizing the fact that he's calling Joshua to do something that no one else is going to do. And think about how little Joshua had to work with. Only two men in the entire nation had any battle experience. Joshua and Caleb, and both of them were old. They had no military leaders. They had no army. They had no training. They had no weapons. What they did have was an array of nations and armies waiting for them in Canaan that were bigger and stronger than they were. And so with that in mind, I want you to look at these next couple of verses. I want you to think about just how bold and how audacious This is what God is saying, starting in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, as I said earlier, this command, be strong and courageous, appears three times in these handful of verses. And God did not tell Joshua three times because he was already strong and courageous. God told him because he was not, but he could be. And the reason why he could be is because of the promise of God. God gave Joshua a promise. He said, it's the same promise I gave to your forefathers. He not only promised to give them this land, he swore by himself. In other words, by his very existence that he would do it because if God can break a single promise, then he would no longer be God. And there's something very interesting about this promise that shows up in the verb tenses of these verses we've just read. In fact, maybe some of you already noticed this. But in verse 3, God said, I have 
given you the land. In other words, it's already yours. Everywhere you go, every step you take, it already belongs to you. In verse 2, God said, I am giving you the land. In other words, right now, I am giving it to you. But then in verse 4, God said, it shall be yours. In other words, I will give you the land. So I want you to notice what God does here. In verses 2, 3, and 4, back to back to back, God talks about giving them the land, but he talks about it in the past tense, in the present tense, and in the future tense. I did it, I am doing it, and I will do it. By the way, in the New Testament, our salvation is spoken of in the same way. The Bible says that God saved us from the penalty of sin. God is saving us from the power of sin. One day God will save us from the very presence of sin. But the salvation of the believer is described as also being past and present and future. But you might read this and you might wonder, well, how can all of these be true at the same time? He will give it. He is giving it. He already gave it to them. You might read this and think, well, does God have a verb problem? Well, no. God doesn't have a verb problem. We have a time problem. You see, God is eternal. He is outside of space and time. So God can say something has already happened even though we can't see it yet. And whatever God promised in the past, God is working to accomplish right now in the present. And whatever God is doing right now in the present, you can rest assured that he will finish it in the future. If God is in it, he will finish it. And the same God who promised Joshua the victory, he promises us, he promises those who are in Christ ultimate victory as well. We remember what Paul said to the Philippians, I am confident that he who began this good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. Just like Joshua, listen, the devil does not have the power to stop what God is going to do in your life. He doesn't have the power to keep you from taking a single step in what God has called you to do. You see, in the Christian life, it's been said, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Did you get that? We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Our victory was already won for us by Christ. He won that victory by his death, burial, and resurrection. And that victory already won is then applied to our lives. God had already given Canaan to Israel. Israel just wasn't living in Canaan yet. And so it is with us. We already have victory. Christ already won the victory. God's already given us that victory. But sometimes we're not yet living in victory because we're not applying it to our lives. 
So many times we're like those Japanese soldiers that were discovered on that remote island years after World War II had ended. You remember that story? They had been cut off for so long without any communication with the outside world. In their minds, as far as they knew, the war was still going on. In their minds, as far as they were concerned, they were still fighting it. And many Christians go through life the same way. We forget that God has promised us victory, and sometimes we act as if the battle has not already been won. But when we read God's promises and recite God's promises, when we believe God's promises, courage rises and fear dissipates. We have the courage to succeed by embracing God's presence and believing God's promise. But then there's one more thing, and this is so important, by following God's word. By following God's word. Look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. This time he says very courageous. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. In the Christian life, the difference between success and failure is usually how you respond to the Word of God. God said to Joshua, observe all the law. And keep in mind, when God tells Joshua to observe the law, he's not talking about how to become righteous. The law cannot make any of us righteous because the law requires perfection, and we are all lawbreakers. No, he's talking about how already righteous people can become successful. To the extent that you do this, you will prosper wherever you go. Now, Joshua and Israel, they didn't have the complete word of God like we do today. But you know what they did have? They had the first five books of the Bible. They had the law. They had the commandments that had been given to them. And they had the instructions that God would give to them when they entered into the land. They had all this available to them already. And God said, don't turn to the right or the left. In other words, they did not have the right and we don't have the right to take even a single verse and water it down to make it more popular, to take a single command of God's word and, and water it down to make it more popular with this world today. Don't turn from the right or the left, God said. Sometimes we don't understand it. Joshua did not understand why God would tell them to march around the city of Jericho over and over again. But part of courage is obeying God even when you don't understand. In order to obey it, however, we first have to know it. So look at what God told, told him in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good 
success. God said, it shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, read it and hear it and study it until you get to that point when the Word of God is constantly in your mouth. Because if your mind is full of the Word of God, guess what? Your mouth is going to be full of the Word of God as well. Back in 1678, Paul Bunyan wrote that famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory of the gospel and the Christian life. Many of you probably have read it. This book has been translated into more languages than any other book except for the Bible. But do you know how Paul Bunyan got saved? One day, Paul Bunyan was eavesdropping on a conversation between two godly women. And as he was listening in, he couldn't help but notice how their conversation was full of Scripture and how their conversation was full of faith. In fact, so much so, he was one to Christ just by listening in. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone were to eavesdrop on your conversations, God forbid, but if someone were to listen in, would it lead them to Christ? God said, this word shall not depart from your mouth. And then notice this, you shall meditate on it. When? He said, day and night. That's how you will observe it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. That Hebrew word for meditate, uh, you may know, has a very different meaning from the way most people are using that word meditate today. You hear a lot of people talk about meditation, usually has new age connotations, usually involves yoga pants. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not what this word means to understand what it does mean to meditate on God's word. This has been compared many times to a cow chewing the cud. The cow, as you may know, will eat grass and chew it, swallow it, and then spit it up, chew it some more, and swallow it again. May do that several times, and my apologies if I just ruined your breakfast or if I just ruined your lunch. But that's a pretty good picture of what we are to do with the Word of God. Hey, if that cow has to double down on chewing that grass over and over again so that you can enjoy a ribeye, how much more must we chew on God's Word? And when you've chewed on it, chew on it some more. Folks, this is not a two-minute devotion. This is more than a quiet time. This is not just picking up your Bible every now and then and putting it right back down. This is a way of life in verse 8. To meditate on God's Word means that we read it, and then we think about it, and then we wrestle with it, and agonize over it, and pray about it. It means we ask all the hard questions. What does this word mean? What does that word mean? How does this apply to my life? What does this require of me? 
What promises are there for me to claim? What obedience is God calling for here? Folks, it's one thing to just read your Bible, and yes, we should read it, but it's another thing to be so immersed in God's Word that it flows naturally from you. And yet this is what God said must happen in Joshua's life and in our lives if we are going to be strong and courageous, especially in this day and time in which we live. We get courage from this book. The courage to succeed, it comes from embracing God's presence and believing God's promise and following God's word. God knew that Joshua and the people, they would need all of these things in order to succeed as they entered the promised land. But as I close, let me just say this. It's not a coincidence that God is telling all of this to a man named Joshua. Last week, we concluded a series on the life of Moses. Moses was a real man, a heroic man. And at the same time, we see in Scripture how Moses was a picture of the law. He represents the law to us, and thus he could only lead them so far. He could not lead the people into the promised land. Someone else had to do that, someone named Joshua, which means God saves, Yahweh saves. Likewise, the law cannot take any of us into the promised land of salvation because we've already broken it. Somebody else has to do that. And that is why God sent his only begotten son, and what did he name him? He named him Joshua. Yes, that's his Hebrew name. In Greek, it says Jesus, which we translate Jesus. Jesus does for us on a spiritual level what Joshua did for Israel on a physical level. Jesus came from heaven to earth. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. He died in our place for our sin, and he rose again, and he did that so that whosoever believes in him, confessing him as Lord, can experience the promised land of eternal life and salvation with him forevermore. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you have given to us in Christ all that we need. In him, your word says, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. We thank you that we don't have to fight for victory. We can fight from victory. We live out practically on a daily basis that victory that Christ has already won for us through his life and his death, his burial, his resurrection. And because these things are true, therefore, God, we can be strong. We can be courageous. And Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to take all that we've read and all that we've heard and apply these things because... God, it's becoming more and more difficult in our society. 
in this world, in this culture, to stand on your word, to live for you, to follow Christ. And with each passing day, it takes a little bit more courage than it did the day before. God, we need this. We need to apply this and incorporate this into our lives every single day, embracing the fact that, yes, you are with us. You have promised never to leave us or forsake us. You have promised to give us victory, that you will finish in our lives what you began, that moment that we were saved. And you've given us your word and told us that if we will just immerse ourselves in it, so that it flows from our lives. It'll change us. It'll change the way we think, the way we act. And we will be successful as you define it. And so, Father, I pray this morning you'd help us to take all that we've heard and not just be hearers, but be doers as well. God, I pray for those who perhaps have never come to that point in their lives where they've said, I will follow Christ, the one who died for us and rose again the only Savior. Father, your word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if there's one here in this room or watching online right now who needs to take that step of faith, God, how I pray, they'd not wait another day, not another moment, but they would come running to you knowing your word says that Jesus said, whosoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. You'll receive them and forgive them and save them. So, Father, I pray this would be their day of salvation. And thank you, God, for offering to us the strength and the courage that we need in abundance in these days and times. And we thank you, we praise you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.